Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clipped that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad queso. I've never had no bad queso, really. Good morning. It's Tuesday, August 16th. I am excited today to be joined by the great, the wonderful, again, the sneaky handsome, Andy Barons. <laughs> today we're going to be previewing the Pittsburgh Steelers um, and... I love this concept we have here today, Andy, because it was kind of like it came out of nowhere. This idea of um, we're calling them grenade players, like guys that could just come in and blow up and screw up all of your fantasy projections this season. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty fun show. Uh, Andy, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Uh, I am back from the Kings Classic drafts and the Fantasy Expo, which was a which was a good time. I'm just hoping that my voice holds out for this. Uh, I love I love this concept today. I love the idea of the grenade player, the guy who's going to detonate, you know, all of your all of your well thought out fantasy plans. Um, love that you came up with it basically at midnight. Um, it's a good idea. Let's roll <laughs> yeah, with that. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. It's like, <laughs> ooh, what are we going to talk about with Andy tomorrow? We can't just get him to recap the fantasy expo and all of his drinking for the last like three days. So um, <laughs> let's come up with a maybe PG-13 level topic. Um, but first of all, we do have to just kind of talk preseason because I wanted to check in with you a little bit. Obviously, Scott and I on the last episode ran through pretty much all of the major headlines, I think, from a usage standpoint, from a performance standpoint, hit on a lot of rookies in the last episode. But I did want to kind of take your temperature on on how you're feeling coming out of the preseason. Uh, we were just texting before the show, and you know, you're like, yeah, there's really no major injuries, which part of me was like, bro, <laughs> like, knock on wood, uh, don't jinx this thing right from the I know, start. I know. I know. Uh, but anyways, the sort of open floor here for you, Andy. How, how are you feeling? Uh, anything stand out to you uh, from the preseason action, which hopefully you took in some of the games while you were um, pounding shots in your loud shirt uh, at the expo? Yeah, you know what? The the thing I've reached a point in my life where like when the shots come out, I know it's I I know I've got to wrap up the evening, right? Like I'll do it when it hits my hand, but then I'm I tap out. Then I then yeah. I sort of slink away quietly. <laughs> um so yeah, I did did catch uh a fair amount of preseason action and what I didn't catch live, uh, which was actually not a lot, I was able to catch via highlight and whatnot. And you're you're right, I shouldn't have jinxed it. I shouldn't have even brought it up. Um, but I 
you know, I do think it's notable that we don't really have a catastrophic injury that came out of preseason week one. Um, again, I'll I'll do the knocking on wood thing. Not super superstitious, but hey, you never know. Um, it, I mean, even the even the injuries that we had, like we basically got a best case scenario, right? There was there was fear for about 24 hours that Zach Wilson's season could have been uh, disrupted. Don't think that's going to be the case. Um, Drake London checked out uh, after one catch. Doesn't sound like that's a serious issue. So we dodged uh, we dodged pretty much all of the major injury bullets, which is which is the biggest thing that we can take away from almost any preseason week. Right. Like usually the thing that disrupts uh, everything, all of our fantasy plans, including many of the rosters that we've already drafted, is the you know, is the six week injury or the season ending injury that occurs in August. It's why we, we you know. You want to see your guys a little bit in the preseason, and yet you don't. Like it's, the, I, I, I got no problem if none of the players I draft play in the preseason, because um, it's just, it's just a minefield, and it, it seems like we dodged the, the absolute worst of it. The, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I don't want to draw people necessarily into the fantasy drafts that I just had, but. Boy, you could tell. Like I had two drafts over the weekend. You could just tell there's there's quite a bit of helium for for some of the rookies right now. Damian Pierce, uh, really good in uh, in his preseason debut. Didn't start. Marlon Mack starting, and Rex Burkhead got the you don't even have to play treatment. Um, so that's probably a good thing for Burkhead. I mean, it's complicated. I don't I don't want to say that. The, like I also don't have any reason to think that Houston necessarily wants to get that backfield down to one guy. I doubt they do. Most teams don't. But it was a really good showing for Damian Pierce. Uh, broke off, I think it was a twenty-yard run. Looked good. Um, got guy who was just like a, he was he was a part timer. He was a job share guy at the at the college level. Pretty good player. Some people loved him more than others. Um, but he's he wowed in the in the preseason. That was a good showing for him. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up Rex Burkhead because I knew we'd talk about him here most likely, and he kind of fits the mold of the grenade players, like we're going to talk oh, about later. Yeah. Like he's definitely getting like between 300 or 500 rushing yards and 300 and 500 receiving yards. Um, obviously there's a big range there. So I, I know what I'm saying here, but like he's going to mess up something for Pierce. Like if you, if you draft Pierce, you will be cursing Rex Burkhead's name at some point this season. Just, just be aware of that. But I kind of wanted to ask you about the Damian Pierce thing because he is a buzzy player right now, but also I think he's a good kind of test case of what your preseason philosophy is uh i always come <laughs> back to an example I, I think this was my first either first year or right before i got to uh, nfl network and chris wessling was really talking about like mark ingram in the preseason and this guy looked like a different back than what he did in the early part of his career when he was kind of just a plotter like you saw that in the preseason that he had become more explosive he had really rounded out his game now that's a veteran example obviously but it's also a carryover from the the offseason that was for mark ingram that he had you know so that was the headline from from saints training camp like mark ingram looks more explosive mark ingram has changed his rushing style like he looks like he's ready to take that next step as like the banger back for the saints when he like i said had kind of just been a plotter earlier in his career so that's kind of my thought on preseason like you want it to be an extension of your like the offseason drum beats. And that's kind of been there for Damian Pierce, a guy that if observers from Texans camp has said, like, this guy looks like the best back on the team. 
Yeah, he was, uh, and we're like, we're starting to pay for it in, uh, in fantasy. He went again, he went the eighth round of like one of the drafts that I had, and there was a bidding war for him in the salary cap draft that we had, like a, like an outright bidding war for him that I think I got pretty frisky. I don't remember where he settled at, but there's a lot of enthusiasm for him right now. A lot good player. But, but as you say, I think it's going to be, you know, like Burkhead's not going to go away. I don't, I, I would never expect any team to decide that they just simply want to use a guy, you know, for 320 touches, 330 touches, especially especially a first year player who never had a workload that looked like that in college. Right. It seems like a like a poor idea for Damian Pierce, like maybe the best role for him is 12 to 15 touches a game and we can just maximize his effectiveness and whatever we can get out of Mac and Burkhead, we're going to get out of him. Burkhead, certainly a, a reliable player, um, useful as a, as a receiving option. So I, th- I think Burkhead is sort of that grenade type that is going to, that is going to absolutely detonate your, like whatever your high end plans are for Damian Pierce and people have them like people there's, there seems to be somebody in almost every like sharp draft who is, uh, who is fairly sure that Damian Pierce is the, is the runaway running back, like hit of this, uh, of this rookie class. I don't know that we're quite there. I think the other, I think the other rookie back that we have to mention is a guy that you and I talked about last week, and that's Brian Robinson, who had a touchdown. Um, again, not not that it means much of anything, but like not a great, not a great showing for Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson puts the ball on the ground. Brian Robinson does a thing, um, and it just sort of cemented uh, the the preseason drumbeat that we've heard, uh, like not just from beat reporters, but from the literal coaching staff about how <laughs> Robinson is going to have a, a role in short yardage and goal line situations. There's no reason to back off of that now. No, yeah, again, that is the perfect um, sort of transition from the offseason drumbeat to the preseason reality. Like you want to see it if you want, if you believe something, you want to see some signs of it. It's tougher than ever in preseason, man. And like we kind of have to do it with rookies now at this point because they're the only ones that really get a lot of burn, like for the most part. Um, And then even to the it's even to the point that, you know, like Albert O is a guy that played in the Broncos first preseason game when all of the other starters rested. And we've got people freaking out just at the idea that he played, right? Yeah. Like that's how that's how much preseason has changed to this to this point. That guys that are expected to be big contributors, like if they're even out there, it's like, wait a second, does the do we need to raise a red flag because this guy played in the preseason? You know, like Josh Jacobs, even even better example than Albert O when he was out there. By the way, he he did get the starters treatment in the second game, so. Josh McDaniels are already off to a hot start in terms of uh, <laughs> in terms of coaches messing with our brain. But um, yeah, I, I think that that's just how crazy preseason has has become. Yeah. And it's also like when guys play, right? Like there's so much that you're uh, that, that you really do need to keep track of. Like if obviously if guys are playing deep into the third quarter, fourth quarter, no matter how good they look and no matter what numbers they put up, it's, it's a really bad sign. Right. Especially when we're talking about preseason week one, week two is not when you would expect anybody who's going to be relevant in the regular season. And then you have to you have to almost dismiss uh, any stats that they do deliver because they're playing against guys who are like who are going to be camp cuts, who are almost certainly not going to make rosters and who are much more like collegiate level talents than they are, than they are actual NFL, you know, uh, every snap relevant players. So uh, we, we have to care so much about when a guy is in the game and not exactly what they do. What a treat in the freaking preseason, man. All right, let's uh, Lord podcast wanted us to hit this headline I mean, headline sort of um, before we transition into grenade players, because it actually makes for a really good example of what we're talking about, but more at the high level of the discussion. Raiders tight end Darren Waller said the team plans to use him more in the red zone this season. Um, you know, if you look at 
Darren Waller's touchdown log. Like he has the one season on his resume where he caught three touchdowns on 117 targets in 2019, his breakout year. Um, in 2020, he had nine on 145. Last year, two on 93. Obviously, he was injured. So he's never been a major touchdown scorer necessarily. But I think it is worth wondering. I mean, he's freaking huge, right? He's a former what people think of like these big wide receivers that can't separate. He was actually that guy. So he moved to tight end. Um, so he's a Supreme athlete. He's a big player. That sounds like the type of guy you'd want to use in scoring area. But if he does become a big factor, this is why I think he fits with the, with the grenade player thing, Andy, because if it, somebody has to get banged here from a touchdown perspective with these, with these three Raiders pass catchers. And I like that the Raiders passing tree is going to be super narrow between Devonte Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and probably log out after that. You don't have to care about uh, the third receiver <laughs> or whatever, but at the same time, Renfro was a big factor for um, Derek Carr around the scoring area because they just have such good communication on those option routes. We know what Devontae Adams can do as a touchdown scorer, but if Waller gets into the mix here, it gets a little more complicated, I think. All, all I hear when I when I see this is uh, that Derek Carr is going to be throwing when they when they get in the red zone. That's, that's really all. Yeah, I wanted, right. That's really all I want to know. Like, uh, if if Darren Waller is going to be a red zone factor, that's awesome. It means the ball is going in the air. If the ball is going in the air. Um, you you hit the key point here, which is this is like as narrow a, a receiving core as as any in the league, at least among guys that we have to care about, right? Like. The, the fourth guy is um, De Demarcus Robinson, right? Like it's 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 not somebody who is going to be much of a factor for us. The, I, I mean, I hope this is true because if this is true, it means that it's not going to be entirely Josh Jacobs. And, you know, maybe Jacobs gets dinged here because um, he saw a ton of t carries inside the, you know, in goal to go situations last year inside the 10. It would be great news because um, I have, you know, I, man, every time anybody asks me to talk about a sleeper quarterback, I, I Derek Carr's name seems to fall out of my mouth. Right. Like, I just think there's a a, yeah. a pretty clear path. And, and big part of the argument with Carr is just that, man, that guy threw for a ton of yards last year. And nobody noticed um, 4,800 yards in like just a storm of a season for the Raiders overall dragged him into the playoffs and all that. Like, I, I think it, if they're if they remain committed to the pass, um, it's 5,000 yards for him over 17 games. And I, this seems like, this seems like great news. Like if they get, if they get down to the five and they're looking for either Waller or Devonte Adams, who are the two clearest options once they get in there, you know, in, in the scoring area, I, I think that's, I think that's great. It probably dings Hunter Renfro, but I think there's just, there's so many targets available to Hunter Renfro and life should be so easy for him. Um, given, you know, all that has to happen is Adams and, and Waller stay healthy and uh, it's it it should be easy pitch and catch for Hunter Renfro most of the year. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's funny. With a guy like Derek Carr, you're going to need him. You know, he was the 13th fantasy quarterback last year with all those yards. You're going to need him to throw like 30-plus touchdowns. And yeah. I think that is within the range of outcomes here because these three guys are so good in the scoring area. And this passing offense just has a lot of potential. I can't. I feel like with the Raiders, there's there's a really enticing – high end on that range of outcomes uh, where all of these guys hit their ADP where all of them, like, I don't want to totally ignore Hunter Renfro where he's going. I don't want to totally yeah. ignore Darren Waller where he's going. And, you know, Devonte Adams, I'm still not quite in like the first round territory with Devonte Adams, but that's not really an anti Devonte Adams take. It's just that, 
you know, there are some running backs that really want to take their round the turn because I'm saying this because I'm, I'm writing my first round remock right now. And Adams is a tough player to place. Anyways, point is here, the Raiders could be a lot of fun. And Darren Waller, I think because he's a good player, doesn't have to necessarily be a grenade player for other guys. But the guys we are going to talk about here in our grenade uh, player section, I think we both want to be clear here, Andy. The names that we're about to read off are not like, hey, draft this guy. Um, yeah. I, I'm going yeah. to talk about freaking Braxton Berrios here. Like, I don't want you drafting Braxton Berrios, <laughs> but these are guys that if they if their role grows and expands, somebody is like somebody's going to have to sacrifice, you know, like and the guys that are going to have to sacrifice, if you shave off, you know, two or three percent of a player's target share, that starts to make a big deal. Uh, that starts to make a big impact on uh, on these guys' fantasy projections from a week-to-week basis and a season-long basis. So let's just jump right into it here with our grenade players. Again, these are guys that could detonate and 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 sort of not go crazy in your fantasy roster, but can mess things up for other fantasy players. So why don't you get us started with one of the guys you want to nominate here? Yeah, the first guy on my list um, was was a player who I saw go in round 10 of, uh, of the final draft I had over the weekend. It's Isaiah Pacheco. Um, this is a wild story to me, like a, like a good college player, but um, he was he was stuck in in Rutgers, right? Like an overmatched just football wise overmatched in the in the Big Ten East pretty clearly um, never put up never put up numbers at the college level that would make you think twice about him as a pro prospect. Um, I don't believe that he even averaged four yards per carry in his final year. Right. Um, but uh, just a, a wonderful athlete, very fast, um, plenty elusive. And sometimes when you're running behind Rutgers offensive line and you're facing Ohio State and Michigan, like things are things are rough, right? Um, you're not going to you're not going to necessarily put up gaudy stats. He finds himself in Kansas City and he's been he's been running with the first, not exclusively with the first team, but he's been seeing a lot of time with the first team. And his name hits your Twitter feed every day. Beat reporters covering covering the Chiefs always have positive things to say about him. Everybody around the team has positive things to say about him. He's clearly going to have a, a some sort of return role there, possibly a rotational role in that backfield. And that's where things really get complicated, because all of a sudden that means, you know, uh, d- does d- somebody somebody is going to shake loose there? Like maybe Ronald Jones doesn't make it. You know, we talked about that before. Maybe Ronald Jones doesn't even make it to the final roster. Maybe he's a cut who becomes a disruptor somewhere else, right? Like oh, Isaiah yeah. Pacheco's <laughs> arrival has 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 really become a thing like he's. If like if they had to set the roster right now, he would clearly be on it. He's clearly breaking camp with that team. And that also complicates things for CEH for, you know, if McKinnon is going to be a thing like he was kind of fun in the playoffs, if he's going to be any kind of thing. This is really disruptive there because Pacheco kind of similar, um, uh, you know, hyper athletic player, probably not somebody that you're going to give 20 touches to, but certainly somebody who can do some damage with like 10 and 10 is, you know, if that's what he's getting. That's that's really disruptive to the rest of this backfield. Yeah, I'm I will push back on the CEH thing in a little bit, but I totally agree. Like Jerick McKinnon, I think is basically going to be like a, a f- number three back and a special teamer. I mean, he was actually playing special teams during the preseason game. So, like, I think that's going to mostly be his role, which probably won't be a big factor on the offense unless like last year injuries hit or certain situations hit and he does get out there a little bit. So. I feel like though with CH, most of this, some guy getting in there and getting ten carries and sort of being a disruptor was 
already kind of baked into his outlook, baked into sure. his ADP. And I mean, for God's sakes, I really, I just talked about CEH with uh, freaking Scott last night, and I don't want to become like a CEH guy. That's really, really not <laughs> what I'm trying to. I'm not trying to do that to myself. But I feel like that was sort of already baked into his ADP, and now it's just like, well, that guy's gonna be Isaiah Pacheco. It's not gonna be Ronald Jones. But I guess to your point there, if it is Isaiah Pacheco, he probably can get some gadgety type touches that siphons off some receiving work. That's never really been there for CH, but kind of would be nice if he could get there. I, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I, you know, I suppose for me, it's just a question of whether like, w- I, I think what was baked in with CH is the idea that this would become a two man backfield. And initially perhaps we were thinking it would be Ronald Jones and CH, which seems like they'd be perfectly complimentary to be honest. Um, but if it's, but if it's more than a two man bet, like, a three-man backfield really gets complicated, and that hurts everyone. And I think, I think maybe that's where we're headed. Um, and I, I don't, I don't even know who those three guys are. I don't know if McKinnon is one of them. I don't know if Jones is still going to be one of them. I, I have no idea. Like they kept trotting out Derek Gore last year. Could be anybody here, but Pacheco is pretty clearly going to be one of them. And I feel like he's forced this. Like it would, like maybe the original yes. plan was it's going to be two guys in in a, a rotation where Ceh is probably sixty percent of it. And now it's pretty clearly going to be more than that, or at least Pacheco's going to have a huge role. Yeah, and if he continues to kind of grow and expand that role, it also might start of start letting off the pin around the re- the receivers too, because we expect four yes. guys to be yeah. involved here. And if he's going to get some like design touches type of stuff, that just it's going to mess up the flow of the offense and might start of uh, might start like a cascading effect for a guy like Sky Moore or I mean nobody really cares about McCole Hardman or MBS but or at least you should, probably shouldn't but like those guys are going to be involved in the offense I mean MBS was the clear two uh, to Juju uh, during the preseason I think that's probably the way this thing's going to start so if you got Isaiah Pacheco out there getting like I said to those design touches you're not going to necessarily carve those up for sky more as well. And then he'll have to just earn a rotational role in the receiving workload, which I think he can do, but it might come, you know, weeks 10 to 18 as opposed to mm-hmm. weeks one to four, which means, which means if you draft him, he's among your first cuts, right? Like if he doesn't have a role in September, you're yep. just cutting him. Yeah. I think with most of these rookies, you have to be prepared for that. You have to be yeah. prepared for them to start slow. And like, maybe the, the move is for non like Drake, London, Chris Olave types, for some of these rookie receivers, you got to be ready to, to 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 cut them, and then you got to be the person that's ready to be the hawk and start picking them up. Like once <laughs> they start getting the expanded routes run, the expanded snaps. So I, I think that's going to be a theme of this year, and I, we can call it like the Amon Ross St. Brown theory because I think he's like the perfect fit for yeah, that. As Scott call. and I discussed on last podcast, but you mentioned three man backfields, Andy. I'm a little concerned that the Bills backfield might turn into a three man backfield because they basically keep saying that. Um, like beat reporters are, you know, kind of saying that too. That hey, Zach Moss, like we even thought he might not be involved, but he might be involved a little bit. And then, like, if this is a three-man backfield, f- just flip and forget it, right? I mean, James Cook, I think, can still have a role. And I actually think James Cook is 100% going to be a disruptor to the the receivers in this offense, the pass catchers in this offense, because the Bills have basically been signaling, we want a guy in this role. Like, we want Josh to check down, or have, like, a check down option. And they wanted to be J.D. McKissick. They didn't get J.D. McKissick. They were openly pissed that they didn't get J.D. McKissick. <laughs> and then they drafted James Cook in the second round. So they're telling us pretty loudly that they want somebody in this role. And, you know, if Cook siphons off like a 10% target share, 
that's going to come at the expense of Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, maybe Dawson Knox too. Um, so I think he already has the chance to be a disruptor. And then he might only just be a disruptor because Zach Moss might be in the backfield sometimes too. And that like, oh, I have no, no idea what to do with, with a three-man rotation here. Yeah, no idea what to do with it. Zach Moss, um, uh, somebody that I was enthusiastic about like a couple years ago. And um, re like, remember what a, I don't know if it was a shock exactly, but it was a mild surprise that Zach Moss was like a healthy scratch early in the season last year. Didn't necessarily see that coming. Um, so it's been a little bit of a, a roller coaster for him in Buffalo, but some, some relatively, uh, but you know, whatever it's camp, it's preseason, but some relatively bullish uh, reports on him in, in recent weeks. The other, the other thing that could still happen here is like, you know, we mentioned Ronald Jones, Kareem Hunt, uh, uh, certainly a trade candidate. Like there's still a possibility that a different back lands in uh, in in Buffalo that would blow all this up. Um, yeah. And, and that that guy could could become a much bigger factor than than even Singletary. So, like, it felt like, you know, if you were somebody who was who was really a backer of Devin Singletary and I, I kind of had been I took, you know, every time we had like a magazine mock months ago, I was taking Devin Singletary and making the argument about how great he was in the playoffs, how great he was late in the season and how well he handled like 18 touches a game. And then he he dodged pretty much all the bullets in the in the draft. Right. And in in free agency, I mean, Cook is obviously a factor, but the team told us right away, like at the draft press conference on James Cook, they told us we want to throw to this guy and, and we think he can have a rotational role. But they've at no point described him as if he's going to as if he's going to, you know, usurp uh, Devin Singletary's role in this offense, which is a good thing for Singletary. But there's still there's still a real possibility that somebody else enters the mix. Um, somebody who's not even on the team yet enters the mix at this mm -hmm. backfield and really complicates things. Yeah, and Singletary in a lot of drafts, I mean, he just falls and falls mm -hmm. and falls and falls. And, I mean, he can really be a candidate for those empty calorie carries uh, for, like, the between-the-20s type stuff. Because if he's not going to have access to passing game work, which we know he's not because James Cook is there, it's going to be problematic for him. Like, he's going to be a game script-dependent guy. And then if he's splitting rushing work with uh, with Zach Moss, who I – mean, and he doesn't even necessarily just have to own goal line work to Zach Moss. Because um, I'm with you, man. Like – Singletary was pretty good last year, right? He, like he I, was I good he was at the goal line too. Like he was yeah. good in the role that he wasn't supposed to be good at, right? Like he was good in the goal line in December and January, which is like I, I don't know. That was that seemed like a big deal to me. It is a little weird that he seems to be a guy that everybody wants to replace all the time. I mean, even yeah. like the, you and the Zach Moss truthers a few years ago, it was like, ah, get this Singletary stinks. Like, uh, I'm not calling you out specifically, but, you know, it was like <laughs> there were a lot of people out there like get Singletary the hell out of there. Like Zach Moss is better. And I feel like Singletary just plays pretty well every time he every time he gets an opportunity. But then it sounds like the team is also, you know, sort of willing to, well, let's let's see if we can get Zach Moss in here. Or like, yeah, let's maybe kick around some better in backs or, or whatever. I mean, Brees Hall, everybody yep. freaking mocked Brees Hall to yep. the Bills in late round one because nobody – it was like they just had a pretty good playoff run with this guy. So I, I don't know. I, I have yet to click Singletary when he falls and falls and falls and falls, and maybe it's just because I'm – a little spooked by this idea that this is going to be a three-man backfield and he's really going to need an injury there to matter. Yeah, no, I, I think this is a good name. Um, I, these are good names to talk about and Singletary is a good one to talk about. Um, and it wasn't like, I, I, th I feel like the issue with Singletary has always just sort of been his size. Like it's always been assumed that uh, you would you would pair him with somebody else that you wouldn't necessarily want to give him 300 plus touches. It's just that he handled it so well in the biggest weeks for that team.
Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I'm actually gonna go. I have my list is longer than yours, which I think probably says more about me as a person um, than anything <laughs> else. And <laughs> I've got doomsday scenarios about these relevant, un, almost largely unrelevant players uh, in the back of my mind at all times. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two from my list, and then we'll go back to yours. Um, I've also got Kyle Phillips on here, and he's somebody that um, I've talked about on the podcast recently, and I think he just perfectly fits this because. This is a guy that the Titans already seem to love. Um, I follow a few Titans writers like uh, Teron Davenport from ESPN, um, Jim Wyatt, obviously legendary Titans, uh, you know, a beat writer. And man, you can't go a day without seeing specifically a clip from like the wide receivers coach uh, telling me like, oh, God, what a what a player. This Kyle Phillips, like what? A, yeah. And maybe he never becomes um a star slot receiver or goes down like the Hunter Renfro archetype, but man, it sure sounds like they're going to have a role for this guy from the jump. He's been seeing a lot of snaps with the Ryan Tannehill team uh, in, in practice and preseason, whatever. And let me tell you what, like regardless of where you stand on the great Traylon Burks wars right now, <laughs> um, the, the reality is Burks, and really Robert Woods can't afford like Kyle Phillips coming in here and soaking up a 12, 13% target share. Cause this team I've got to project for dead last in the NFL and pass attempts. And like, I don't really see a, a way that they're, they're coming out of that basement really. Yeah. They I, obviously Derek Henry is there and Derek Henry is, is most of the offense. Um, and they are a, Der a Derek Henry centric team. Um, th there's no way they can support, you know, I actually feel like it's almost either or with Woods or Burks. It's probably like, but you know, you reference the, the trail and Burks wars. He's, he's a guy not necessarily playing at the right time in the preseason. Right. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that this team can support two fantasy receivers period. Um, and like Hooper's going to be a little bit of a thing and there's just, there's not going to be that many targets to go around. And you're, you're so right with Phillips. Um, in a variety of ways, because like da Davenport tweets about him every day and tweets about like the conversations that Tannehill <laughs> is having with him every day. Right. Like this is a guy that like Tannehill is actively working with all the time, it seems. Um, so Philip Phillips is pretty clearly going to have a role, probably going to be on the field um, if if not in the first snap of his first game in the first quarter of his first game. Right. Like he's going to play that. That seems obvious at this point. Um, and you're you're just so right. If this guy draws 70 targets, 80 targets, that's getting that's getting siphoned away from I, I mean, I don't know. Was there was there even a hundred and ten target receiver in this offense? Maybe, maybe it was Woods. Um, it's just it's hard to give him more than that. Um and, and now it feels possible that there won't be a hundred target receiver here. And that's just that's just bad all around. I'm gonna make a prediction here. Andy, you and I do the waiver wire show during the season. We're talking Kyle Phillips week one. Yeah. I yeah, guarantee you call. he's gonna you know, we've the drumbeat has already been building and, you know, maybe he ends up being the Kevin Ogletree like he has a big week one and, you know, he's <laughs> never heard from him again. I think that's probably pretty unlikely because, by the way, I like Kyle Phillips as a player. Uh, I was on the podcast in the uh, during the draft being like, I think this guy is like a pretty decent slot receiver sleeper. Uh, I like the way he runs routes. No shock. I like the way he runs routes. I like like the way he fits in that player archetype. So I think there's a chance he can actually be pretty good and like stick around. But I mean, my God play the giants in week one, um, you know, at home, the giants are going to be transitioning to this, like blitz, happy man coverage defense. Wink Martindale's going to be blitzing the piss out of, out of old Ryan Tannehill back there. And he's going to be dumping it off to old Kyle Phillips yep. as a slot receiver. So my prediction, Andy week one, 
after the, uh, for the waiver wire show post week one, we're going to be talking about Kyle Phillips. Yeah, that that feels real. That feels like that may very well happen because again, we're going to see some. I don't know. We're we're not going to see like consistent high target games for maybe any receiver here, but uh, uh, somebody's going to have eight to ten each week, and but like Phillips is as strong a candidate as any early on. Love it. All right. Andy and I are going to be talking about more players who can F up your fantasy projections <laughs> right after this break. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and JJ discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, Andy, hit me with someone from your list. And uh, again, a lot of young guys for you, which uh, I do appreciate. Yeah, um, my list is is basically full of rookie disruptors. Um, and and the next guy I want to mention is not someone I'm saying you should draft. I haven't I haven't seen him drafted really outside of um, the deepest leagues and outside of uh, rookie dynasty drafts, things like that. Um, but but I, I want to talk for a bit about the Rams running back situation and Kyron Williams, because um, Kyron Williams has had a foot injury. He's coming back off the off the pup. Pretty good chance that he plays, if not this week in the preseason, we're going to see him at some point. And I can't I just can't get over the fact that Cam Akers, understandably, the last time we saw him play was just not a good running back, um, <laughs> just not yeah. a good running back at all. Had a terrible like. I don't even know if they really intended to give Cam Akers all that work, you know, six months removed from an Achilles injury. Uh, some of it surely had to do with Henderson's health. Um, I, I get all that, but he just, he just really wasn't good. I feel like that's um, a forgotten note in this whole thing that like Daryl Henderson was banged up for most yeah. of that like playoff run. And then it, when he came back in the Super Bowl, they they suddenly started using Daryl Henderson again. I feel like that gets lost in me. Hey, look, at they gave Cam Akers all that work, you know? Yeah, I, like I don't think they I number one, I don't, I don't think they want this necessarily to be a one man backfield. I mean, I think they would love it if Cam Akers is a superstar that like is definitely still uh, within the realm of possibility. Maybe he can go right back to being the player that we saw in the previous postseason, right? Like back in the in the 2020 season, he was great. They'd probably give that guy all the work. Um, but at, coming off the Achilles injury on a crazy timeline, he was he was pretty bad. Um, no, no more than 55 rushing yards in any game, despite having, you know, huge, uh, absolutely enormous usage. So that's a worry. Um, like the, each of the last two seasons, Daryl Henderson has really had a chance to run away with the job and they've taken it away from him at some point. Sometimes that's been a little bit about injury. Sometimes that's been about kind of meh performance. Kyron Williams was a guy who was a, a two-time thousand-yard rusher at uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, uh, not you know, not, not my favorite prospect exactly, but um, he was super productive against a tough schedule. Really elusive runner. Um, I like a lot of things about him, and he's got a chance to enter this mix. And again, if you know, if if I'm right, and and I don't like, I I really don't think that they're trying to make this a, a one man backfield. There's a possibility that he could also be that guy that that sort of forces his way into like a, a three headed backfield situation and just becomes a nuisance for everybody else. 
Yep, I think that is well within uh, the range of outcomes because, hey, buddy, we've seen this guy, Malcolm Brown, like was this player yeah, for the yeah, Rams yeah. not long ago. And I feel like he could just be the next iteration of that player. You know, the sort of coach's catnip guy that I always talk about, <laughs> like the running back that you don't really want to be the guy but always finds his way in because he's good in pass protection it wasn't like pass protection one of the things they talked about when they drafted kyron williams that like yeah. hey we like his ability to, in that so i think he just perfectly fits this which often feels like player. a bad sign for fantasy right like if that's the first item on the scouting report wow um tell, tell me more I'm, I'm i'm so excited <laughs> but that but that does keep guys on the field Got me on the edge of my seat here, Sean, with his uh, <laughs> with his pass protection stuff. But yeah, it keeps guys on the field. How many times you could go down like the Hall of Fame of fantasy guys who have been banged because they weren't good in pass protection yep. or the guys that, you know, I mean, Jamal Williams is the example. Jamal Williams is the example of a guy that forced his way onto the field to the point that every fantasy analyst with any sort of platform is like free Aaron Jones, free Aaron Jones. But <laughs> the coaching staff just love Jamal Williams because he's reliable as hell and good in pass protection and yada, yada, yada. And I feel like Kyron Williams could easily be that guy because the team basically said it, said as much. So sometimes when you're debating these running backs, Cam Akers at this point in the draft, Daryl Henderson at this point in the draft, like sometimes there's a door number three and it's like, oh, God, Kyron Williams screws them both over. Yep. And that could easily be the case here. That's a really, really good call out. Um, all right, let's move on to a couple of slot receivers from my list. I'm going to group these guys together um, because one is like the new look version of the player. And then one is the life cycle. Of, I've talked about the life cycle of fantasy backs for a while. Like Jarvis Landry is sort of on that life cycle of fantasy receiver where Bursts onto the scene as a rookie, catches a ton of passes, by the way, playing slot receiver for Ryan Tannehill. Think about that when we just talked about Kyle Phillips <laughs> earlier. Um, you know, burst onto the team, getting those little bunny hop pop gun passes in Adam Gase's miserable Miami offense. Um, <laughs> just and then he goes to Cleveland, kind of continues playing as a solid player. But I mean, he was like a rocket ship in PPR formats, half PPR formats because of that role that he had in Miami. Now he's like probably going to be the annoying number three for the saints. Like if you're in on Michael Thomas and all good things so far with Michael Thomas and you, you know, boosting him back up, I think Landry siphons some of those short area targets. Cause he's just a guy that super reliable, definitely on the decline in his career, not the same player that he was early on, but could still hold a decent role. And then Chris Olave too. I think their usage will overlap less because Michael Thomas, we know where he, the areas of the field where he really, really dominates and soaks up those easy layup targets. But that's kind of Landry's game where I think Olave yeah. will stretch the field a little more. But still, if Jarvis Landry is out there eating more targets than we expect, that is going to put a break on the Chris Olave hype train, which I would love to conduct. I would love to be uh, like at the front <laughs> of that hype train. But just overall, like if Landry has a bigger role than we expect, I don't know that Jameis Winston's like, I think we could be, you know, cooking with gas if it's Thomas and Olave. Like, Winston can support those two guys. If it starts to become three players, we're getting into a bit of a dicey situation. Yeah, and of course, a, bi a big part of the issue with the Saints passing game last year is that Javis was only throwing it like 22, 24 times a game. He was doing it really efficiently, a lot of touchdowns early in the season, but um, it was just not a high-volume passing rough offense names. at all. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I Also, by the way, I feel like we should never mention Jarvis Landry without mentioning the fact that he dominated Pro Bowl Skills Challenge dodgeball for multiple seasons. He's sure. he's maybe the best dodgeball that we've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> I, the, 
the, the other, like, as you were talking about Jarvis Landry, um, it, it occurred to me, same division, uh, another like super annoying vet might be uh, Julio Jones, right? Like, I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to see yeah. enough targets for us to actually. I almost, I almost put him on the list. Yeah. Like he pairs list. really well with Landry here because I don't think either one of them should be like rolled out in fantasy lineups, but um, that like, are they going to see 60 plus targets? Of course they are. If Julio Jones just stays healthy, he's going to be a total annoyance. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, I almost put Julio on the list, but the Bucks are just so strange right now because almost all of their receivers have some sort of health problem uh, right yeah. now. Like, not serious for Mike Evans. We know that. Not serious for Russell Gage, really. But literally, none of the fantasy relevant Brady. players are like with the team right now. <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. Brady, where, where, the, where the f is Tom Brady right now, Andy? <laughs> It is a, it is a really good question. That should probably be the title of this episode of the podcast. Yeah, that is a that is a pretty yeah. wild question. <laughs> I mean, it's bizarre. It's really bizarre. I, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to go on a tangent about this, but it is really weird that like one of the best players in the sport retires, throws the coach into the front office. Don't care what either one of them say. That's still what happened. Has this weird like the the flirtation with the Dolphins basically gets confirmed by the NFL's report dodges yeah. any sort of like consequences for that, but then now he's just like oh he's away from the team for and then immediately takes and, off for two weeks yeah yeah wild strange just a little weird the the vibes <laughs> with the Bucks are I'm not gonna say they're bad vibes I'm just gonna say they're a little bit weird they're a little bit weird. More than a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I can't uh, off the top of my head. I can't like, I don't know, been covering the NFL for a long time. Can't remember another another camp exactly like this. I know. And they're like, I'm, I said I didn't want to go on a tangent about this, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reports are he's away for a personal matter. But then other folks are like, oh, he's just off, like doing other work. And he but he's like, maybe questionable. Okay. For, then there's like, well, we can't really say he's going to be there for week one. What? Yeah. What? Yeah, it, it seems like we're what What are we? Are we 80 percent sure that he's going to be there for week? What's well, only Tom Brady? Uh, it's only a, a like the NFC is wide freaking open um, and they're yeah, they're they're treating this a little bit like they can just give away games, perhaps. Well, and, you know, they, they might be right about that. That's the thing. I mean, yeah. for us who are going to live and die every single week with the NFL and like. Okay, well, we got to give you advice on <laughs> Kyle Trask, Blaine Gabbert starting week one. Like, I mean, it's not gonna be Kyle Trask, Blaine Gabbert starting week one. Uh, what do you do with Mike Evans? I mean, we would be in a full on panic about that, but the Bucks probably can afford to kick their feet up and be like, eh, we'll, man, if, we, if we, we come back when he's back. If we get a uh, if we get a, a sort of random unexpected Bucks trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, uh, oh. <laughs> like issue coming up the next couple of weeks, I I am in fact gonna be in full panic. I quit if that if that happens. <laughs> um, I, I we don't probably need to talk about much about Braxton Berrios just because I feel like he's been the guy that um, we. I, I or at least I know I've said this is like a lot that he's going to be the poster child of this. If you're into Elijah Moore, if you're into any of these other um, Jets pass catchers, be prepared to be frustrated with Braxton Berrios and his, you know, weird mind meld with um like best buddy ship with Zach Wilson. They wear each other's names on T-shirts and stuff. Um, obviously, we know Zach Wilson, a bit of a he's definitely questionable for week one. We know that. But Braxton Berrios was the guy playing slot receiver in 11 personnel. Um, and that's probably bad news for Garrett Wilson, who only saw one snap with Zach Wilson uh, in the Jets preseason opener. Yeah. And Garrett Wilson gets like uh, there's going to be multiple people in every draft you're in um, who are pretty into Garrett Wilson. He has he has a bunch of fans. 
good, like good player, really good college player. Um, but I, this is a quarterback that I just don't know is going to be able to, you know, for all the, for all the talent in this receiving core, I'm skeptical that Zach Wilson, I'd love to see it. Um, skeptical that they're going to be able to support more than one viable fantasy receiver. And that is clearly going to be Elijah Moore. Um, so it, like any targets that get vacuumed up by, by Barrios, by anyone else here, um, that's a real problem. Yeah, it's going to be a problem. All right, give me uh, another guy from your list here. But we're getting close to where we move on to the Steelers. But uh, there's going to be a good transition there. Spoiler alert. Yeah, this uh, the next guy on my list is somebody who, like, you probably do have to draft based on everything that we've seen, everything that we've heard from camp so far. It's Romeo Dobbs, who uh, is, again, he's a guy who, like, your Twitter feed is full of his name uh, almost almost every day. It's, it's the Pacheco situation. He is not the rookie that we necessarily, like, if any rookie was going to break out in Green Bay, we did not think it would be him. We thought it would be Christian Watson, but he's, you know, he's been dinged, and man, um, Dobbs is really, has really taken full advantage of the situation. There is a, there is, at that like, he, he strikes me as a grenade player because I'm, you know, I, I'm one, I'm one of those people that's drafting Alan Lazard. Maybe I'm the only one for all I know, but I'm one of those guys who's drafting Alan Lazard as a, as a pretty solid <laughs> wide receiver. There's a few of you on three. that island. There's a few of you on that. Yeah, island. yeah. I feel like it's a, it's an island that is, that is gaining in population. For a while, it was just me and Dave Kluge, but now it's, you know, I feel like it's grown. We've got some infrastructure on the island now. We've got a couple of restaurants, um, so that's, that's good. Yeah. It's growing. Um, but Alan Lazard to me <laughs> might was need to the, make a two lane road instead of a one lane road. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was, um, I, you know, it was a situation where like, I, I just thought Lazard was, was virtually guaranteed to be the number one here. No question about it. Um, Ro- like Rogers continually talks him up and I, I, I still think that's likely. Um, but I also couldn't, you know, I, I didn't want to make any promises about Lazard's actual talent level beyond his size um, and uh, and his rapport with Rodgers. Like, that's what I liked about him. It's not like I think he's Devontae Adams. It's not like I think he can possibly become De- Devontae Adams. Um, De- like, Dobbs seems pretty talented. It seems like a pretty great separator. He is not, um, you know... He's not he's not like six, four, six, five, but he's big. He's you know, he's I think he's six, two, something like that. Um, r- really, you know, m- multiple uh, really solid college seasons for this guy. So, I, again, he's making all kinds of noise at, at Packers camp and um, Rogers talking him up too. like not 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 like a full throated endorsement, but you wouldn't really expect that from Rogers and any rookie. Um, and it is extremely rare for uh, and maybe it's unprecedented for a rookie season to really pop for a rookie receiver to really pop with uh, with Rogers, but he's talking them up and they obviously have a need. And if you had any plans whatsoever for Watson, for Watkins, um, you, you can pretty much toss those out now because it's it's pr- I think it's pretty clearly this guy and Lazard. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And he definitely has a chance to to, um, you know, toss a grenade on the beaches of your island there for the Alan Lazard thing. <laughs> if he really does have that breakout uh, rookie season. So that's definitely a good call out and somebody we've talked about a lot. Um, somebody we haven't talked about as much, um, but I, look, Andy, you're here. So we got to ask you about the Bears. Um, last guy on my list we'll discuss before uh, we transition to the Steelers and your final player, Khalil Herbert. I think Herbert is a guy that you absolutely should draft and is a guy among everybody on this list. I can see being the most interesting fantasy player because it sounds like the Bears want to make this more of a committee than we've seen in the past. It's a news. All that stuff lines up, right, when it comes to David Montgomery um, because he's in the final year of his contract for a coaching staff in front office. Didn't really draft him. He's not a – I think Montgomery is a good player, um, a pretty fine running back, but he's not – like, would you say he's at or just slightly above replacement level as a player? 
I think I think he's done a lot of things that um, give him a lot of credibility with the with the team. Of course, that as you mentioned, that was the old coaching staff, right? Like he's he's played through some stuff, um, and he's had a couple of yeah. injuries that when they happened looked like they were going to cost him like a month or two and he'd be back like a week or two later. Right. So he's, um, he's played through some stuff to the, you know, and, and probably sacrifice some efficiency and some stats in, in doing so. But I, you know, I think that really matters to, to teams. Um, it is certainly a valuable trade. He gets a lot of credit for that. He's not, you know, like he, he is very workload dependent. I, I will say that because between wherever he falls in terms of a, a natural ability among all running backs. And I don't think he's, you know, this isn't like Javante Williams in terms of making people miss. This isn't, you know, a guy who's just a natural fit to catch 90 plus passes, anything like that. He's good. He's a, he's a quality NFL running back, but he, you know, you, you can replace the David Montgomery's of the world. He's not, He's not somebody who needs, you know, uh, uh, any sort of exceptional contract when he, like the Bears probably need to let him walk when, uh, when, you know, when 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 this is done, like maybe the next four years of David Montgomery are not going to look that great. Um, he needs all of the work because um, this is going to be the Bears, uh, you know, as as we've discussed before, this could very well be a team that averages something like 13 and a half points a game. Like there's there's potentially one or two offensive touchdowns available per week here. Um, and he needs to be in a in a situation where he's where he's almost guaranteed to get one of those, um, which means he's got to be like a 300 touch guy. I, I don't think that David Montgomery can be fantasy viable, really, as anything more than like a super deep league flex. If he's if he's coming in at like 190 or 200 touches and evenly splitting a workload, which with Khalil Herbert, which is totally possible because um, Herbert certainly showed us enough last year, um, had that big game. I think it was against the Bucs that that really stood out. He's a pretty good player. He's he's potentially at least as good as David Montgomery. It seems like he could do all the things like uh, he, he, when he falls into like 12 touches or so, one of them, two of them um, are are going to have pretty special results so i think he's a good back and if the, I, this would just be an absolute nightmare fantasy wise if it if it turns into a situation where david montgomery is getting like 12 to 14 touches and herbert is getting 10 um i don't know that either i don't know that either player is going to be startable yeah and i think that's the big thing here um your tone and how you answered the david montgomery question like whether he was above replacement level or not answered the question <laughs> yeah right he's, well he's like, like exactly that, yeah. there he's like exactly yeah there. he's exactly yeah. there i mean you're never gonna yeah he's just not, he's just not a star and at this point like the unfortunate reality of running backs is like if you're not a star player you're probably close to replacement level and you're probably not you know a featured guy or whatever but Khalil herbert i think i feel pretty confident saying he's a good back like i think he's um he might be he might level off as like a David Montgomery replacement level guy, but I'm very, very confident in saying that he can play. Um, and I think the new coaching staff is interested in seeing if he can play. And from an ADP perspective, like you mentioned, if you project out David Montgomery to get all 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 the work, he comes out fine. Um, he comes out OK in your projections. But if you start to siphon some of that off to Khalil Herbert, it gets bad fast for Montgomery, who, from an ADP <laughs> perspective, is still going in, in consensus ADP 33rd overall, 17th overall among running backs. And Khalil Herbert is way down there, like 100, 183rd overall, 59th overall among running backs. So, yeah, I, I think the the clear one with this, like, th th there's the others that we've said on this list. It's like, well, shoot, this could get this could get weird. I think this is going to get weird. And then the clear signal there is, 
I think you better be drafting Khalil Herbert where he's going and not drafting David Montgomery where he's going. Yeah, Mon- Montgomery at 33 overall is pretty close to ceiling, given what we expect from the Bears offense, right? Because um, like, I, you almost have to forecast Montgomery, given the like the look of the Bears offensive line. Um, the, the early schedule does him no favors. Um, it's like the Niners, the Rams early on in the season. Like he's, he's not going to come out the gate, come out of the gate strong at all. Probably going to come in at like 3.8, 3.9 yards per carry. If you're going to be that guy, you, you better carry the ball 270 times, 280 times if you're going to be a difference maker. Andy, I feel like your tone has changed so much just in those last few moments <laughs> talking about the Bears. So let's transition away from that to, oh, how exciting, the Steelers. Um, but no, it makes it makes perfect sense because the last guy on your grenade players list, and he was actually the guy that inspired the idea for this segment when Scott and I talked about him last night it's George Pickens and I mean look we can get excited to talk about George Pickens because there's some you know just he's an exciting player yeah let's just leave it at that um George Pickens I think definitely has the chance to be the grenade player for the Steelers and and it's in a way not sort of like a Jarvis Landry Braxton Berrios like oh man like he's just kind of a pesky player he has the chance to be so so good that he changes the way we think about the Steelers' passing game rotation. Hundred uh, percent, absolutely, absolutely correct. This is a guy. This is a guy that I did draft over the weekend. I think I took him as like a round nine pick or something like that, and I was sweating it too. I was, Ooh, I was like, I watched him fall to me, and I was like, oh man, I just got to make it one more, two more. Um, and he and he did, and I was pretty excited about it. Um, because he was he was coming off that, you know, I, it was a preseason game in which like Deontay didn't play. And, you know, Friermuth didn't play and, and some of the red Claypool zone options play. weren't out. Yeah. So it wasn't maybe I shouldn't read that much into it. But that, that touchdown was like a, that that was great. That was great. Right. Like he just sort of out physical the defensive back, got both feet down in the in the back quarter of the end zone. Um, that was really good to see. It is it is matched like all the hype that we've heard from camp. Like that was a pretty exciting preseason performance on top of it. A handful of of Steelers observers were pointing out that he was just a mauler in the in the run game, too. Um, which is what, I mean, that's going to keep him on the field, right? Like we talked about pass protection with some of these running backs. And, um, if George Pickens is just like an elite run blocker, he's not, he's not going to come off the field for Pittsburgh and he's going to, that's going to force Chase Claypool into that, you know, maybe he's kind of frisky in that big slot role. Maybe that's fun, but like if Pickens is going to be the best, you know, uh, run blocker among, uh, among this receiving core, he's, he's going to play like a hundred percent of the snaps because he's a really gifted receiver. He, you know, like the, first season at Georgia was kind of full of wow moments for him. Um, really talented player who now is, is entirely healthy and flashing almost every day. Uh, great preseason performance. And like, again, he looks like a guy who's, who's not, he's not going to be a part-timer like in week one, he looks like a guy who's going to have to be out there all of the time. I mean, we talked about the top of the episode tracking things throughout the course of the of the offseason and seeing it become a reality in preseason. That is George Pickens. You said that so well, which is everybody who's been at Steelers camp can't shut the hell up about George Pickens. (laughs) And it's understandable because it's the it's the pass catching, the fluidity. I mean, there are folks in this tracks all the way back to damn Georgia. Like you said, his freshman year, there are folks that will tell you he is like an AJ green type of player that he, he was going to be AJ green before um, injuries and some other stuff happens in college. And look, you know, I said to Scott yesterday, 
not everybody's for everybody. There's certainly people that are not going to clearly don't like George Pickens from like a sitting down and, and talking with him. And uh, did you, have you seen the video of when he got drafted? You know, the, you know what I'm talking about when he watched himself get drafted? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were going to talk about the fact that the Steelers sent Chase Cloyd pull up to, <laughs> to, to, to announce uh, well. the pick, which is like, that's like my favorite thing from any draft that I, that I could recall in the last 10 years. Uh, yeah, a lot of... Um, a lot of interesting stuff there to, to unpack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you haven't seen it, go go look up like George Pickens watching himself get drafted. I mean, the NFL accounts like putting memes out of it. So it's pretty common knowledge, I think, at this point. But yeah, I mean, the guy might not be for everybody. OK, maybe not. The, maybe yeah. not the fellow I want to grab a beer with. But um, the point of that is like the talent is absolutely there. And I don't think he's like a I, mean, I don't know, whatever. Who cares? Point point is, he's a talented player. He's really, really gifted. And if he blocks his ass off, that's a huge note from you that if he's on the field in two receiver sets, like you want your guy on the field in two receiver sets. So as much as I like Chase Claypool as a, as a big slot, like you don't want him to be not on the field when they go to the two receiver sets because that's going to just take away some opportunities. So I hearing you say this, like they're not taking Deontay off the field. They just paid Deontay. He's the best receiver on the, on the, on the team. If it's Pickens and Deontay on the field and two receiver sets, sounds like you're saying like now is the time or maybe like three, four days ago was the time to put Pickens over Chase Claypool in your redraft rankings. Yeah. I don't have him quite there yet, but I think, I think I probably should. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> how, exactly I, how I feel. Yeah. I think like I, I, I probably only taken Claypool like one time and maybe it was a I might have been a salary cap draft where everybody just stopped at like three dollars or four dollars and I wound up with Chase Claypool. He's never been a player that I targeted. Um, he was a guy that I targeted last year and obviously a pretty severe disappointment. But I think I think Pickens is just a big old problem for him because it's I, I would be this is another one of those teams where I'd be really surprised if they support three, four viable fantasy starters in the receiving core. And I think there's a really good chance that Pickens is like the other guy in addition to Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I think he has, I think we're already a point where Pickens has some of the aftershocks of the grenade have already hit yeah. Chase Claypool at this point. <laughs> um, especially since Claypool who got off to like maybe a decent start in mini camps and stuff like that. We you know when Deontay Johnson was holding in, then he had an injury. He missed time and it's just more time for Pickens to ingratiate himself to the team. I mean, there's a chance we're wrong. And then week one comes out and it's, it's Claypool and, and Deontay and the two receiver sets. And, you know, OK, we're we're back in business there with Claypool. But and they still have Pat Fryer, but they're still probably going to throw a little bit to Najee Harris. So it gets a little tough there for the third wide receiver on the team who's not in the two receiver sets to be super fantasy viable. Does any of this Pickens hype? make you want to change your ranking for a guy like Deontay Johnson? Um, the answer to me is no, but I'm curious to how you feel. Well, the, I mean, to me, the, the biggest problem for Deontay has been um, what the quarterback situation looks like. Not that it was great last year. Um, and I, I, you know, I feel like I always find myself saying this with regard to Ben, but like, obviously the version of Ben Roethlisberger that we saw the last two years was not anything like vintage Ben didn't, didn't play the same way he could, you know, he could on, on like if he, if he had time to get set and really unwind, he could still push the ball downfield, but it wasn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't do it on, I, when he was freelancing, he didn't do it in scramble plays the same way. Right. He wasn't, he wasn't constantly looking, um, to go deep downfield as he did when he was sort of in his in his peak years it was a thing that he really had to like gear up to do 
um, and didn't necessarily do it well. And often when he was doing it, was looking for Chase Claypool, who just made nothing happen downfield. So like the uh, whatever deep ball was a problem. For it's ben. not he even so much that like it's not even so much Ben Roethlisberger's performance. It's that he was such a limiting factor on what they could do because what yes. he would like agree to do, I think is the right. bigger thing with Ben at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the, the quarterback situation is obviously different. They, they almost certainly start the season with Mitch Trubisky, which, you know, I, like there's a, there's a corner of the fantasy world that will tell you that, that Mitch Trubisky was somehow secretly good as a bear. And I would, um, I, I think, I think it was a complicated player as a bear because when things went according to script for Trubisky and like, plan a was open to him he could hit all those throws right like but if he had to go off script if he had to if he had to freelance a little bit he made game wrecking plays um he was he was a like not just a wild card but but bad things happened when mitch trubisky had to had to sort of go off script and i think that you know i I think that led in part to the to the matt nagy situation and the downfall of of his coaching career like he he was you know, the, the final the final year or so with Mitch, Nagy was such a terrible play caller when they when they got in goal to go situations in particular. But I think a lot of that had to do with not wanting to put the game on Trubisky's shoulders, um, because if again, if plan A wasn't there, really bad things happened and he gave the ball away a lot. It's just a question of how much better he can be. Um, we know that he's mobile. We know that he's like got all of the physical traits that you would want a, a nice youngish uh, uh, mobile quarterback to have, right? Like he can do some things. I think he's, I think he's talented enough that he can, he can support a, you know, a couple of, of viable fantasy receivers. But I also think he's kind of, I, I don't, yeah, I hate to invoke Carson Wentz here, but he's got a little bit of that, right? Like he's, he's just, yeah. he's, he's going to make, time bomb. yeah, he's going to make four or five throws a game that are that he just he just puts the ball in jeopardy and they're not all going to get picked off and they're not all going to become disastrous plays and hey maybe once or twice they're even going to become a positive play but um he he just makes some really head scratching throws and that is the difference between him and uh you, you know someone like Roethlisberger who at the very least you know his was not prone to mistakes at the same rate as Trubisky so that is a is a big worry for me you know I, th- I feel like Deontay is safe but I feel like his his ceiling gets capped a little bit like I don't think there's a I, I doubt there's a world where where Deontay catches 115 balls 120 balls I can't I can't really see Mitch do that um I, I doubt very much that's going to happen um so I've I've kind of got him around the you know I don't, I don't know if I have him in the late teens or the early 20s among wide receivers but he's just sort of in that block of players for me yeah I've got him wide receiver 18 the very bottom of tier three the last guy in that tier um and I'm a huge Deontay fan as a player we know that but I agree with you I think that was a and you're well qualified to be this person. I think that was a perfect <laughs> scouting report of both Matt Nagy and uh, Mitch Trubisky because I think the aftershock of things went right. Like Trubisky had a pretty good run. What was it? The 2019 season, maybe where um, like David Montgomery was also crushing all of those like yeah. cupcake rushing matchups or whatever. Yep. And I feel like the aftershock of that when that was. Oh, Nagy had it so perfect, like schemed so perfectly for Mitch and the running game was good that that carried over into the Justin Fields era where like he was still trying to run that cookie cutter offense that worked with Mitch Trubisky there for a hot second with, um you know, with Justin Fields. And it was just like, well, this is a objectively horrible plan to anybody watching <laughs> um, anybody that knows anything. But I picture perfect scouting report of those two guys. And, you know, we don't need to make this uh, bears today here, but like, 
the thing with Trubisky is they they get off to a tough start uh, this year yeah. to the Steelers. In fact, I'm going to pull it up to really just hammer the point home. Um, but like, I think Trubisky starts the year, and then they they play the Bengals, the Patriots, the Browns, the Jets. Like, it's not terrible, but then you get into like Bills, Bucks. There's some there's some moments where this could go really bad for Trubisky, and I want to bring Kenny Pickett into discussion here because. I think I I think I was too focused when talking to Scott about Kenny Pickett on the last episode on, you know, sort of the training camp reports um, that were just like, hey, he doesn't even have a shot to supplant Mitch Trubisky. Like he's working as the QB three, which is true. He ran out in preseason as the QB three, but Pickett was good in the preseason. Like I think he played pretty well. And and he's got like we talk about, OK, Mitch is like a sneaky athlete. He, he can run a little bit. And I think that just is going to be huge having a quarterback who's going to be mobile gonna be a big deal for this offense in general i we need Pickett to stack more good performances to like kick mason rudolph to the side and make right. this more of an exciting offense with an exciting young quarterback yeah Pickett's a and uh, you know i i talked about this with scott i think months ago uh in in initially discussing Pickett. he he was a problem for me as as an evaluation as like a prospect evaluation because he's you know he's a he's a guy who didn't really break out until like his his fifth year at Pitt, right? Like his fifth year at Pitt was his first really solid season. And it was a really good season. Like he was great. I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of complaints about him. Maybe this is a complaint that um, most of what I took away from watching Kenny Pickett um, as a, as a collegiate player is wow. Is, was Jordan Addison a good receiver? Um, And (laughs) whoa, can I not wait to draft that guy? Right? Like that was that, (laughs) That was most of my experience watching watching Pickett. He did have a really nice preseason performance. That's a good thing. He was the only first round quarterback. Generally, a, a first round quarterback is going to get a shot at some point in his first season. That is the whole point of taking them is that you get these four cheap years from a from a rookie QB, right? Or from a from a first contract QB. Um, and it's not like, you know, it's not like they have some some deep long term commitment to Mitch Trubisky at 30 million a year or anything like that. Like, you know, it's not that much to ask Kenny Pickett to overcome Trubisky eventually. I, I think it'll probably happen because, I, again, you know, the the Steelers uh, hit a rough patch in the schedule and Mitch can have some really ugly performances. And there is certainly going to be uh, pressure in Pittsburgh of all places to, to see some Kenny Pickett if, if things are going badly. Right. And if they slip a game or two below, below 500, like that's going to be, that's going to be a real thing. Now, I, obviously Mike Tomlin is not going to bow to pressure from media or fans or anybody else. Um, but there's a real chance that we see Kenny Pickett. I, and, and I hope he's, I hope he is as good as last year's collegiate numbers. I just, I just don't know. I don't I, like, I, yeah, I feel like I shouldn't admit that I don't have a strong take on Kenny Pickett, but I really don't have a strong take on Kenny Pickett. I know that he's not going to be a, you know, he's not, he's not going to be like some huge rushing asset or anything like that. He's kind of a unithreat quarterback. Um, I hope he is as good a passer as we saw last year. I think it would be a wonderful story for Pittsburgh. I'm just not totally sold on it. I do think he's actually pretty, pretty athletic and like can add some juice in the mobility section of this offense, which again is crucially needed. But you mentioned pressure, like, there's going to be pressure on Mitch literally on the field because this offensive yeah. line is uh, not ideal. And I think that can transition to 
uh, are the last guy we got to talk about here before we close out the show. I apologize. The first episode where I took over the hosting chair that I, I was way too obsessed with the Steelers receivers. And this just was a, uh, this is the reality of it. We've talked about the Steelers here for, you know, 10 plus minutes. Um, and we focused on their very mercurial passing game. We haven't touched on the one player that everybody cares about on the Steelers in fantasy. And that's Najee Harris. Um, Andy, Najee Harris, I'm re like I said at the top of the show, I'm, I'm redoing my um my mock draft right now for the site. In the June 1st edition, I had him at the sixth overall pick. In this updated version, I'm gonna have him 11th. That's one of the bigger falls, and it's really to no fault of Najee's own. It's just I wanted to elevate other players, and maybe it's a little pessimism about Najee, but I'm curious where you stand on Najee as a as a player and in this situation for fantasy. Um, there's, there's three receivers that I would take ahead of Najee Harris. Um, I think he's a pretty solid for, he's not like a fringy first rounder for me. Um, and there's really only three or four running backs that I can imagine taking ahead of him. So like if he falls to, if he falls to seven, eight, uh, in the, in the first round, that feels okay to me. I feel like I just got him there in, in Razbol perhaps. Um, but I like him. I, I like that this is one of those teams, one of those very few teams. You know, we talked about split backfields at the top of the show. This is one of those teams that doesn't want to have it. They they gave Najee Harris as a rookie um, behind a, a really shaky offensive line. They, they gave him the most touches in the league, 381 touches. He gained almost 1,700 scrimmage yards. He, he was also one of those guys where, like, if, if you just care about yards per carry, it didn't look great. But he actually he actually led all running backs in missed tackles forced when you when you combine uh, receptions with uh, with rush attempts last year. Like he was he was more elusive than he got credit for. I thought it was I thought it was a really good first season and he closed it strong. That That's always good to see. Not that that's necessarily a sign of things to come, but it's 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 great when a when a first year player isn't just running on fumes at the end of the year, right? Like he had his, he saved his best game for like the championship week in fantasy, right? He was still <laughs> great in December. That's always good to see. So I, I'm pretty bullish on him. And I, I think he's one of those guys who wasn't, you know, he wasn't just simply the beneficiary of a lot of volume. It certainly helped him, but I think there's a difference between Najee Harris as a runner and say David Montgomery as a runner. Like I think David oh, Montgomery yeah. in that exact same situation last year would have averaged like 3.4, 3.5 yards per carry and um, could could not pro possibly have handled like 94 targets and, and done as much as Najee did. Yeah, the 94 targets thing, I think, is probably where I get the most tripped up because I think. He's the guy who you can lock in for like 80 plus percent of the team snaps in most games. And that's so, so rare at the running back position. But I just think there's no shot he gets 94 targets this year with with this quarterback situation, with other receivers like George Pickens potentially emerging um, like Deontay's not a, a guy. I think that seeds a ton of targets as well because he's just a good receiver. And I think. I've been very anti the whole notion that Deontay's target like volume was so tied to Ben Roethlisberger because he just could throw those little pop gun passes. But I think the 94 targets for Najee is boosted a little bit because Ben was just a, a, a check down monster. You had that one game against the Bengals where Deontay Johnson was out and he just a whoosh, that yeah. target volume just shot up in that one. So I'm a little concerned that he's maybe more of like, maybe even like in the seventies in terms of targets this year. And that's going to be a bit problematic. So like I said, I'm not out on Najee, but I'm 
very in the bag for Aaron Jones this year, and I I want to, I put him <laughs> ahead of Najee Harris on my running back rankings, and I have three I have four receivers. I have Stephon Diggs from an overall perspective ahead of Najee Harris because I think he's got wide receiver over one overall in his range of outcomes. So I don't know. I guess I guess we kind of I'm a, I'm a little more skeptical, but not all the way out on Harris either. I think I would be surprised to actually see like I wouldn't think twice if somebody took Stefan Diggs ahead of Najee Harris in a in a draft. I would get that. Like, but Stefan Diggs has been the wide receiver one. Happened recently. He's tied to Josh Allen. I get that. I'd be a, like, I, I feel like I like Aaron Jones, and yet I would still be pretty surprised to see Jones go ahead of Harris only because Jones has an obvious AJ Dillon problem, right? Like I I listen, I think I think Jones could easily outproduce Harris in terms of receptions this year. I think a, a 75 catch year for Jones is totally possible. But I, you know, we're, we're going to have to expect huge things from Green Bay's offense. Maybe maybe it delivers right uh, in order for him to actually be a like a high end RB one with with A.J. Dillon taking so, like and deserving so many touches and, and so much of a role at the at the goal line. Yeah, it's my hot. I think it's my hottest take, like among early round <laughs> players this year that I'm so aggressive on Aaron Jones. And we've talked about this before. That I think he is the one who benefits the most from the from the Rodgers like mercurial receiver core. And like if Rodgers is still going to have a big year, I think Jones yeah. is going to have a big year. So um, that's kind of where I'm at on that. But yeah, crazy. We went like so long on this podcast, Andy, when we talked about the damn Steelers and a bunch of guys who probably <laughs> aren't going to do anything in fantasy this year. But here we are. Uh, I really enjoyed it. This is a good show. Um, and I think it's just good to paint range of outcomes. And I think like these, yeah, we've seen it play out here with George Pickens. I, I want to um, I want to have some, I, like I said, my list was longer than yours. And there's actually guys I cut off with this grenade player stuff. But I think it's just good to imagine, like, how can your projections go wrong? And sometimes certain players force it to be so. So love to inspire people anxiety before uh, even getting to week one, but that is going to do it for us. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andy Barons. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, please make sure you're following at Yahoo fantasy. I'll be back tomorrow to talk about Dalton's second favorite team, the Houston Texans. Oh man, what a treat that'll be more <laughs> Damian Pierce talk. I'm sure he'll probably don't probably have the uh, Damian Pierce, the top 25 running back by the time that yeah, show starts. So he's uh, got to be RBA uh, on Dalton's board. I don't know. Oh, he, he's got to be. He's got to be at this point. We also might have a surprise special guest, so be excited for that. Until then, we're out.